The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Wow, we are living in wow days. Can you say wow? <laughs> that is the days we live in. Because prophecy gives us the headlines of tomorrow. I, I hope you do realize we have inside information. This is called inside information. Nobody else in the world has this except for those who know the Lord. So I want to begin by saying this. We are now living in the last days of the last days. And I look, I, I am going to be as direct and as simple and blunt as I possibly can. We are seeing the acceleration of the fulfillment of prophecy that has not happened until the last time there was an acceleration of prophecy like this. Jesus Christ was walking on the earth in the first coming. So we are in an acceleration to his return. An acceleration that is of biblical proportion, especially this week. What happened this week is historical. It is biblical, and it is prophetic. So I want to ask some questions and answer some questions here this morning. Where is the Abrahamic Accord in the Bible? Um, who is Abraham? And I want to say, because that's what they called it. That's what they're calling it. Around the world, the Abraham Accord. I'll tell you who Abraham is. Abraham is called the friend of God. And you have no, we cannot even fully appreciate that in the midst of politics, and of all things, the politics of the Middle East that affects the whole world, they are invoking the name of, the, of Abraham who goes back 4,000 years. He is the friend of God who walked with God, was obedient to God in a very unique way. So, Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. I want you to look at all these scriptures or write them down, mark them, go over them. I challenge you to study them and see what God is saying to you. But in Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, God says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. I want you to, if you have a Bible, underline that phrase, everlasting covenant. Did you know that the meaning of the Hebrew word translated everlasting means everlasting? It never ends. And it's a covenant. To be God to you. And your descendants after you. Verse 8. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger and all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the Hebrew meaning of the word everlasting? Everlasting. And I will be their God. Now, there are two promises here. Number one, God says, to Abraham, you and your descendants, I will be their God. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But number two, 
Not only will I be your God, I am going to give you the land of Canaan, specifically Canaan, all of the Canaanite tribes. And Abraham forsook everything. Abraham did not live in the promised land. He did not live in Canaan. But Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees in Iraq. And God said to him, leave your land and leave your home. And literally, God asked Abraham, forsake everything. Pull up stakes, pack your bags. You are leaving. This is not your home. This is not your country. And I want you to follow me. Now, God did not give Abraham a map. The only thing that Abraham could do is pack his things, gather a caravan, get some food and servants, and begin daily following the voice of God to a land that God said, I will show you. How did God show him? He didn't give him a map so that he could follow it. The only way that Abraham could get to the promised land is to every day listen for the voice of God who gave him directions day by day. And he had to forsake everything, everything he knew, everything that was familiar, everything that had been part of his family or his tribe and get up and go. May I say to you that you and I are called in the New Testament the children of Abraham. And what that means is God is asking us today to be willing to let go of everything that we think is ours. Forsake everything. God is bringing us into ultimately a new land. He's bringing us into the land called the kingdom of heaven. And it comes when you let go of everything, when you forsake everything, when the most important thing becomes to you, I need to hear every day my daddy's voice, and I need to listen to him and follow him and obey him and forsake everything else. We are living in that time. We are packing our bags. We are moving forward, and we're going to end up in the kingdom of heaven. So again, I plant this seed in your mind. I, I push this seed with my finger into your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. That you are now will come into agreement with me as your brother, as your pastor, as your shepherd. That you are willing today to let go of everything, forsake everything. Because the most important thing to you is your relationship with your father and your Abba and your daddy in heaven. And that you want only to hear his voice, follow his voice. And he says, I will be with you. I will be your God. I will protect you. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for you, if necessary, supernaturally. Amen. 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 The supernatural breaks forth when we forsake everything and follow only the Lord. Now, Genesis chapter 17, again, moving down to verses uh, 17 and 18. I've got to get here myself, because I've added a few more verses. But in Genesis 17, verse 17, it says, then, so when God said this, uh, God's speaking to Abraham, <laughs> and he tells him he's gonna have a, a, a child, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? 
And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, uh, God had told Abraham, you're going to have a child. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be miraculous. But there, no child came. So finally, pressure. And they, you know, Abraham and Sarah are like, what are we going to do? We better do something. And so they made a big mistake. Abraham and Sarah decided to help God out. And so, the, you know, Sarah said, well, you know, take my handmaid, Hagar, and you go be with her. And we'll have a child, but it'll be my child. <laughs> and so they did that. And there was a child, and his name was Ishmael. And then God, who had made the promise that you'll have a child, and Abraham's like, oh, Lord, I love Ishmael. Bless Ishmael. He's my son. This must be the son of promise. And then God says to him, no, I'm, you're going to have a son with your beloved wife, Sarah, and that is going to be the son that my hand is upon. And here, when Abraham heard it, he laughed. When was the last time you laughed at God? <laughs> he laughed out loud. He's like, God, I'm 100 years old. My wife is 90 years old. But then in verse 18, Abraham revealed his heart. It's very beautiful, very powerful. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. There's the heart of Abraham. Abraham loved his son Ishmael. So you know how sometimes you can go from laughing like crazy, but you're very emotional, and the next thing you know, you're weeping. I believe that Abraham went from laughing to weeping. Lord, all oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And it wasn't just some kind of a you know, prophetic thing. It was a heartfelt thing. Abraham loved his son Ishmael. But now we go on in Genesis 17, beginning in verse 19. And then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Abraham laughed. And God gave him a son, and Abraham said, I'm going to call my son Laughter, which is what Isaac, Isaac means. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Now, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. That's very powerful. Ishmael's name means to hear, that the Lord hears. Remember when Hagar, she got kicked out. Finally, Sarah gets jealous with Hagar, and there's problems between two women and this one son. They get kicked out. So Hagar's out there with her son, uh, Ishmael, and they're ready to die. And she puts him a further away. I don't want to see him die. She cries out, and God shows up and hears her cry. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I want to say this to every descendant of Abraham through Ishmael, you are beloved of God. You are greatly and highly favored. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Going to have tremendous descendants. He shall beget 12 princes. Aha. 
Isaac is going to have 12 tribes. Ishmael gets 12 princes. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. I want to say God is good. He is not going to throw Ishmael aside. God says, I'm going to bless that son. I love Ishmael. He is beloved to me. Uh, He's going to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons will become 12 princes. I want you to read 12 nations. They're going to exceed, uh, multiply exceedingly. They're going to be blessed. They're blessed of God. They're beloved of God. There's not one bad thing that God feels about Ishmael. He loves Ishmael. He loves the Arabs. But in Genesis chapter 25, verse 6, so that goes on. And then he has Isaac. But as we know, time went on. Sarah passed away. Abraham had other wives. Now, this was 4,000 years ago. And in Genesis 25, verse 6, we read, But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them, these are other sons, not only Ishmael, but other sons, through the concubines away, and he sent them eastward. And away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Now, I want to say this. Arabs are blessed by God. (laughs) Arabs are in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born and all of those languages that were spoken and all of those who believed and loved and worshipped the Lord Jesus, one of those listed is Arabs. It's like my friend, when I was in Israel, and we're visiting Israel, and blessing Israel, getting to know the Jewish people, and finally I met for the first time a Christian Arab brother named Boutros, which is Arabic for Petros, which is Peter, in Nazareth. And he said, Pastor Ray, I love, you know, all of you Calvary Chapel guys, and you love Israel, and you fly the flag, and you love the Jewish people. He goes, but I want you to know, I'm an Arab. He goes, I'm an Arab who was born in Nazareth. So that means I'm an Arab who is a Christian, who is also a Palestinian, who has Israeli citizenship. I'm in a minority within a minority within a minority within a minority. He says, but me and we Arab Christians have been here since Peter preached. We heard him. We believed him. We've never left. And we've been here for 2,000 years. So... The Arabs are blessed by God. They were given 12 nations. And today, did you know, then you can look it up, there are 22 Arab nations. And those 22 Arab nations have 300 times the land that the Jewish people have. God gave to Isaac one nation. He gave to Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham, 12. They've multiplied today with their borders and so forth to 22. And not only that, God gave them oil, a lot of it, and natural gas. 
So Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham, they were sent to the east. These are the Gulf nations of today. And they are the descendants of Abraham. Now, we are living, and this is the beautiful thing, God through geopolitics, you know, because why are the Saudi Arabians, Arabs, Saudi Arabia, Arabs, descendants of Abraham, why are they now wanting to come make peace with Israel and all of these other nations? By the end of Tuesday, they said there are nine other nations lined up that also want to make peace, that are Arab Gulf nations to make peace with Israel. Number one reason is that within Islam, you have two camps. You have Sunnis, which is what the Arabs are, and then you have Shiites, which is in Iran. Shiites are only maybe 10 to 15% of Islam. But they, mostly headquartered in Iran, are working on getting a nuclear weapon, right? So guess where that little red laser light is that's the threat of nuclear weapons? It's on the chest of the Saudi Arabians and the Gulf nations. Why? Because the Shiites believe the whole world should become Islamic. But how can you make the whole world Islamic if the nation of Islam, or the kingdom of Islam, is divided? First, unite Islam. So that's why they would go after Saudi Arabia first. That's why they sent drones a few uh, months ago, if you remember, to destroy oil fields. The Iranians sent terrorists to destroy oil fields in Saudi Arabia. Why? They want to take it over to unite Islam under their theology. So the Arabs feel that red light. And now, back in the 70s, the, the Gulf nations didn't worry about it. Why? Because America will take care of us. They're our big brother. Why would we cover them with our nuclear umbrella? Because we were interdependent upon their oil. Our whole economy derived from that relationship of oil with the Gulf nations. But that was in the 70s. In the year 2020, the United States of America doesn't need one drop of oil from the Gulf nations. And we have a president that says, America first. You guys are, you know, pay your own way. So all of a sudden, Saudi Arabia and other countries, they feel very vulnerable to that nuclear threat. They will never be able to get nuclear weapons. So they go, hmm, where can we go in our neighborhood to somebody who has that same little red dot of the nuclear threat on their chest that we could come under their nuclear umbrella? And they said, hey, the Jews. And they started saying, Abraham, Abraham, we're related to these guys. They're our brothers, our sisters, our cousins. And so do you see how God is using modern geopolitics to force or to compel the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael are coming together to come under that umbrella? That's the wisdom of God. Secondly, these oil gulf nations are going, you know, we can't just stay in oil and gas forever. Economies change. we got to come to modern times. What are we going to do? How do we transition out of that? Well, guess what? Israel is the Silicon Valley of that part of the world. All kinds of technologies, businesses, inventions, startup companies that could explode economically throughout the Gulf nations. So there's a second reason. Not only a military umbrella, but also uh, economy. And then thirdly, 
There's all these weird diseases going around. There's virus. Uh, there's a you know, global pandemic. Guess who has the number one medical research in that part of the world? Israel. So they've been waiting, you know, yes, the Palestinians are their brothers, but they go, look, we've been waiting for 53 years since 1967, and, you know, we have our own national interests, and we're tired of waiting. So we're going to begin making peace, and that is the Abrahamic Accord. Now, let me ask you this question. Did God give Isaac the land, or did Abraham give the land? Because if... Abraham gave Isaac the land and favored Isaac over Ishmael, that could be a problem. But if God gave the land to Isaac, then it's good. If Abraham favored just one son over another, it would not be right. But if God did it, basically what I'm trying to show you here in the scriptures is God did not forsake Ishmael or the Arabs. He loved them, and I want to say right in the very beginning, first book of the Bible, God adjudicated the case between Ishmael and Isaac. He loves the Arabs. He blessed the Arabs. He gave them 12 princes, 12 nations. Now they've multiplied to 22 nations. He gave Isaac one nation with 12 tribes, but God adjudicated, and he loves them both, and he wants to bless them both. And in fact, he is working through circumstances to force them to work together in all ways, militarily, economically, with medicine, and that's the Abraham Accord. So I believe that God gave the land, and it's not, you know, unfavoritism, and it is no slight upon the children of Ishmael. Now, another question. How do you know, or how do we know this Daniel 9.27, because that's the scripture in Daniel that says, he shall make a covenant with many for one week. How do we know that this Daniel 9.27 peace treaty confirmed is the same as the Abrahamic Accord? This is the defining question, because this is the beginning of the Sunni nations, the Arab nations coming into the Abrahamic Accord. Meaning that all of God's children to, are being given Abraham and his seed a blessing by coming together, together. This is a critical question, an important question. It is a defining moment that happened this week. When our president signed the Abrahamic Accord, it is the beginning of many Sunni nations coming into the Abrahamic Accord, meaning the descendants of Abraham's children, from Isaac's descendants, Ishmael's descendants, the sons of the concubines' descendants with Abraham are coming together for, listen, the first time in 4,000 years. Now, I've got a couple of other scriptures they are not in my notes, but I'm going to give them to you real quick. What's developing here? It's defined in Ezekiel chapter 38, beginning in verse 13. Ezekiel 38, 13 talks about Sheba and Dedan, because there's coming a war called Gog and Magog. And Sheba and Dedan say, no, what are you doing? Why are you coming against Israel? Sheba and Dedan is the area 
generally of Saudi Arabia and that part of the world. And then it says Tarshish also says, why are you coming against Israel? Tarshish is ancient Great Britain, which would rule Britannia, rule the Europe. And then it says the young lions that came out of Tarshish or Great Britain, what would be the young lion that came out of Great Britain? The United States of America. So that tells us that's an alignment. Sheba and Eden. Saudi Arabia, the descendants of Abraham, along with Great Britain, along with America, are saying, what are you doing? They're on the same side. But in Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 5, it tells us there will be the rejectionists on the other side. So there will be some that will be making peace, and that will be the Abrahamic descendants coming together with the Jewish people. America will be part of it. Great Britain will be part of it. But on the other side are the rejectionists, Gog and Magog. That's the area of modern-day Russia. And then Persia, which is the country of modern Iran. And then Tagarma, which is the modern country of Turkey. Those two sides ultimately go back and forth against one another. Some of them are like, the Arabs will say, yes, we can compromise with Israel, share the land, share the Temple Mount. And the other side will say, no, never. And it will go back and forth, back, and ultimately it will lead to war. The war of Gog and Magog, which I believe is the same as the Battle of Armageddon. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Daniel 9.27 is a covenant, meaning a recognition of the covenant that God made. And what I believe is happening right now is that, that God is, where is this heading? as they make this agreement, the Sunni nations and the Arab nations are going to say, look, we can give some of the land uh, to you, the Jews, but some of the land to our brothers, the Palestinians. We can share that. And we're even willing to share Jerusalem. You can have your own capital in Jerusalem for Israel, but the Palestinians can have their capital in Jerusalem for their Palestinian state. But all of that is also going to one last place. This is where it's all going to land. This is what is the headlines of tomorrow that is coming. They will agree to share the Temple Mount. And I want to say this. There was an article in Al Jazeera recently about this peace deal. And Al Jazeera was saying, and they used the word partition. A partition that would come, and they're warning, saying, hey, world, do you realize what they're talking about in this peace deal? A partition. What does that mean? Temple Mount. A partition means a divide. Not to remove the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque, to let it remain, but put up some kind of a wall or partition and allow the Jewish people to worship or to pray. And I believe, ultimately, to rebuild their temple. Now, now we're, in, we're in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. In Revelation, chapter 11, verse 2, John supernaturally is told by the Lord, in the modern, the Jerusalem that will be in the last days of the Antichrist, he says, I want you to go measure the temple that is on the temple mount. He goes, but when you measure it, don't measure the court of the Gentiles, 
because it's already been given to the Gentiles. It's already been divided. And I believe that's what's happening right here and right now. So this is, you know, amazing. People are saying, well, now this, you know, new peace treaty is dividing the land. Actually, the land was already divided. The land was divided in 1947 by the United Nations. It started, they never gave Israel all the land. They always said, we'll give you some of the land. So as far as dividing the land, this is nothing new. So I'm saying this peace deal is good as far as it goes. <laughs> but it's based on what started in 1947. But I want you to know this, in the United Nations, it states that, this, that the Temple Mount should be available and accessible to all the three major monotheistic religions. The Muslims should be able to worship there. The Jews should be able to worship there. The Christians should be able to worship there. That's what's in the UN Charter resolutions from 1947. What's been happening is that only Muslims are allowed to worship there, but it's not following the UN. So I believe the days are coming where they're going to say, look, we need to begin doing what we decided as the United Nations and allow there to be shared prayer, worship, ultimately temple, sacrifice on the Temple Mount. That's in this Abraham Accord right now. That's where, do you hear what I'm saying? So I'm going to, so we're, we're going to close. Last question. Why is this covenant going to cause the end of all things? <laughs> so I want to say, look, it is, it's good for generations. Christians have prayed faithfully around the world for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122 verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. So we look from the outside and it's like, well, this is good. They're sharing the land. They ultimately are going to share the capital of Jerusalem. They're going to share the Temple Mount. That's all good. You look from the outside and it looks great. A tremendous accomplishment, even for mankind. Something to be celebrated. Absolutely. Peace is good. But God gives us inside information. So the last scripture I'm going to share with you today is Isaiah 28, verse 15. Because with all of this that is good and all that is being promoted, we know that in the end it's all going to come apart. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15 says, Because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. So on the other side of the Abrahamic covenant are the rejectionists, as I mentioned, described in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And what's going to happen is this is going to go back and forth and back and forth and escalate from one level to the next. Until finally it is Gog and Magog, Armageddon. That is the future and the final battle. And what stops it is not man. If man were left alone, Jesus said, all nuclear weapons that would be used would basically, there would no flesh survive. 
But Jesus said, for the elect's sake, I'm not going to let all of humanity be destroyed. I will cut those days short. I will rescue my bride. I will take my people out. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.